Let us pray. Let your good news come, Lord, not only in word but in power, in the Holy Spirit and with full assurance. Amen. Amen. Maybe it's because I'm from Kansas, where the Wizard of Oz is our formative myth. But I love the idea of a way, a path to follow that leads to answers, a yellow brick road that is bright and shiny and easy to see and leads to that which we most desire, a brain, a heart, some courage, and ultimately home. Perhaps it is this founding mythology that partly informed my decision to hike the Appalachian Trail last year. The idea of backpacking 2,200 miles from Georgia to Maine lodged itself deep in my imagination and would not let go until I set foot on Springer Mountain. So with my overstuffed pack and my not-so-broken-in hiking shoes, I set out on a journey, in some sense, to find my way in the uncertain land of midlife. In today's Gospel text, Jesus does not point to a new spiritual road or a magical map to heaven. He simply says that he is the way. The way that leads not to all the answers or to everything our hearts desire or to a future blueprint for our lives, but the way that leads to truth and to abundant life. But first, there is trouble. It is trouble, after all, in the form of a tornado that sweeps up Dorothy Gale and lands her in a place she never intended to be. And there will be trouble along that yellow road. Trees throwing apples, mischievous flying monkeys, sedating poppies, and of course, a wicked witch. The trouble Jesus speaks of in today's text refers to the disturbed look on the disciples' faces. He has just told them that one of them will betray him, another will deny him, and that he himself is about to leave them. We keep hearing and reading the phrase lately, in these uncertain times. I can't help but think that yesterday, the snow falling on newly blooming lilacs in May is a visual illustration of the strangeness of these times. What season are we in, we wonder? Jesus and his disciples know uncertain times. In the midst of foretelling their failures and of his own looming departure, Jesus says these words so often heard at funerals. Do not let your hearts be troubled. There are plenty of dwellings in my Father's house, and I'm getting one ready for you. I'm going to come for you, and you know the way where I am going. Philip raises his hand and asks the question that was likely on all of their minds and ours. Lord, we don't even know where you're going, so how on earth can we know the way? I recall numerous times on the Appalachian Trail last spring where we accidentally took the wrong way. Lost in thought and conversation, we often followed my friend's dog, 
a dog who was with him all the way until Maine, a wonderful border collie mix named Blue. We often followed her instead of the white blazes that kept us on the AT. She was such a fearless leader for our little ad hoc trail family that we forgot she did not, in fact, know the way. <laughs> she was driven by her own sense of smell, which often led her toward food, usually in the form of something dead in the woods. Another time, we got so distracted in the morning doing our little yoga routine, we ended up walking a mile and a half in the wrong direction before some fellow hikers crossed our paths and asked, Oh, are you southbounders? To which we replied, No, we're heading toward Maine. And they said, Well, you're going the wrong way. <laughs> it can be hard to know the way. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Jesus says, but there is much to be troubled about. Already over a quarter of a million people have died from COVID-related complications in this world. Unemployment rates are the highest in this country they've been since the Great Depression. Domestic violence and mental health problems are rising by the day, and many of the effects of social distancing pose acute risk factors for substance abuse and even suicide. Already this spring, two of my acquaintance friends from the trail have taken their own lives. I do not know what kind of battles they were facing before quarantine, but I know that this time did not make it better. We see pictures of New York City, and that first verse of Lamentations rings eerily true. How lonely sits the city that was once full of people. How like a widow she has become, she that was great among the nations. She weeps bitterly in the night with tears on her cheeks. She has no one to comfort her. It is unimaginable to me to think that so many of those quarter of a million deaths were people dying alone in a hospital bed with no one to comfort them. No family, friends, or priest allowed to be by their side. In the midst of the political blaming and hand-wringing and looking to experts for guidance, we wait. We wait for a definitive word on antibody tests and vaccines. We wait for permission to reopen and come out of quarantine. We wait to hug those we love. In the meantime, we look for ways to keep one another safe and healthy and for constructive ways to give and help. Still, we find ourselves echoing some version of Philip's question, Lord, what do we do? Where are you going? How can we know the way? Many have cried out this week, Come, Lord Jesus, in the face of the brutal murder of 25-year-old Ahmad Arbery. Ahmad, doing his regular workout jog, was a young man shot essentially for running while black. We cry out not only at the horror and injustice of this loss of life, but at the racism stuck in the marrow of this nation's bones that the two men now charged with the killing were considered justified and allowed to live free for the past two months, even after the authorities saw the video of what happened. 
we wonder how many other black lives have been shot down and gone unnoticed. How long, O Lord, will this kind of white prejudice and panic persist? We echo a version of Thomas's request, God, show yourself, show us what to do, and may we never be satisfied as long as your children of color, created in your image, are anything less than fully alive, fully free. Do not let your hearts be troubled, Jesus says, and yet we know there is much to be troubled about. Sometimes we as a Christian community need to feel the full weight of the psalmist's words in the one Psalm 88 that Brother Bob reminded us is the one that does not end on a note of hope. My soul is full of troubles and my life draws near to Sheol. But the promise of the gospel here in John, if I understand it, is that Jesus will not leave us there. He is going to prepare a place, he says, not just in the heavenly realms, but with him here and now. Jesus says he will bring us to himself. He is here to show us the Father, Mother, Creator God in the flesh. In all the works the disciples have seen him do thus far, turning the water into wine, befriending and evangelizing the Samaritan woman, healing the son of an officer from afar, feeding the crowds of people with loaves and fish, giving the blind man sight, walking on water, and even raising his dear friend Lazarus. In all these works, Jesus shows them, shows us who God is. Jane Yarmolinsky writes, This whole concept of God taking on human shape and all the liturgy and ritual around that had never made any sense to me. That was because I realized one wonderful day it was so simple. For people with bodies, important things like love have to be embodied. God had to be embodied or else people with bodies would never in a trillion years understand about love. And yet now we live in a time when we cannot connect in the same embodied way we used to. One woman on our Zoom retreat this week said, I just need a hug. As Brother Robert said yesterday, the absence of touch and hugs and handshakes is so loud. And so maybe we need this word more than ever, that Jesus is the way that leads to truth and life and love that he never intended this word to be an exclusionary statement about other faiths, but rather a word of intimate encouragement to his closest friends. I know your hearts are troubled, he says. I know these are confusing and frightening times, but I will be your way and your truth and your life. Follow this road. Stay on this trail. Six times in this passage, Jesus exhorts us to believe. And Brother Max reminded us that to believe is a gift given from God that we can ask for, to trust in what we have experienced of Jesus and to go and do the works like he did. He calls us to embody God's love to the world, to be agents of welcome, 
healing, feeding, giving, teaching, comfort, and restoration. In a time like pandemic, writes Richard Rohr, we are reminded of the African concept of Ubuntu, that I am because we are. That we cannot begin to address the pain of our world unless we do it with a heart for one another. Not unlike Dorothy, our world is swept up in a cyclone of confusion and destruction. There is sickness in body and in bigotry. There is struggle in the climate, in the economy, and in our souls. And Jesus says into all this, I am coming. I will bring you to me. I will be your way. Like the road leading to Oz and the trail leading to Maine, I sometimes wish the way were clearer and smoother and more easy to follow. But Jesus' way is the one that leads to a cross. We will not be able to traverse the terrain of our time without the one who is well acquainted with suffering. We will not be able to go it alone, and we will not be able to follow his way without sacrifice. I close with a story that has been on my heart this week, not as an illustration that we should take foolish risks in the way of health and safety, but in a way that might encourage us to be creative and to ask God to show us how we can be there for our neighbor in this time of pandemic. The story is told of two soldiers during World War I. Joseph and Jim were lifelong friends and served alongside each other in battle. Outnumbered and suffering heavy casualties, the commander ordered a retreat. When the company got to safe ground, Jim noticed his friend Joe was not with them. He went to the commander to ask permission to go back and find him. The commander disapproved, saying that under heavy fire of the enemy, Jim would surely be killed. He told him they would recover the bodies when it was safer to do so. Jim apologized before he disobeyed the order and ran back to the battlefield. Minutes later, he came back carrying Joe's dead body. As he lay him down, the company saw that Jim himself was now badly wounded as well. The commander was furious. I told you that he would have been killed in the firefight. You endangered yourself and now I risk losing another man. What a waste. But Jim, now fighting for his own life, calmly spoke to the commander. Sir, it was not a waste. When I got to Joe, he was still alive. I held him up and propped him on my lap telling him to hold on. As he gasped for breath, his last and only words were, I knew you would come. Would you pray with me? Jesus, you are the one who comes for us and keeps coming no matter the cost. Grant us wisdom and courage and the grace of belief for the facing of this hour, that we might live the kind of lives that show your love to a hurting world. Come our way, our truth, and our life. Amen. <laughs>